Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, since we were last on the air, um, I, I believe our last podcast came out before the Sweet 16 uh, for the men's basketball tournament. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, I, I know this is you're probably listening to this if you listening to it the day it came out. The morning of the national championship game uh, between Villanova and Michigan. Um, scheduling just, Nobody cares. Yeah, scheduling didn't work out so we'd be able to cover the, the results of that. But we got plenty to talk about in, in the men's tournament and uh, the women's tournament as well. What a wonderful Final Four um, in what was, I guess, pretty anticlimactic getting in there with all four number one seeds going in. But... Those games were just the final four games in the national championship game today were just phenomenal games. So we got all that. So much more entertaining than the men's side. Oh, definitely. And I have a theory on why that is, and we'll get to that in in a little bit. Um, We've also got uh, college hockey to talk about. The Frozen Four is set. Uh, So, you know, very Big Ten centric Frozen Four, uh, if if you will. Um, Three of the four teams in the Frozen Four are Big Ten teams. And the other teams from Minnesota. It's so great. Uh, so we'll we'll get to all that in a little bit. But uh, let's let's talk at least you know now going into the the championship game uh, tomorrow night as we record on Sunday. Um, you know Villanova, Michigan. What are your thoughts? I mean, the biggest story I think to this point has to be the run of Loyola Chicago. I mean that that's you know they're the Cinderella team, the eleven seed, Sister Jean, and all that. Um, just the way they ran through uh, that corner of the bracket was really exciting, and you know they gave Michigan all that they could handle yesterday. Uh, just kind of faded late, and because uh, I know you have some theories on why that might have been. Yeah, I was pretty frustrated with some of the refereeing decisions midway through the second half. It just it felt like they they basically allowed Michigan to get really physical and did not. Um, reciprocate uh there were there was my favorite was when a michigan player leaped into the air and landed on top of a loyola guy and they didn't blow the whistle right away it was like they waited a second to make sure it was a foul (laughs) and then the loyola guy who's clearly trying to jump to shoot the ball but there's a michigan guy on top of him um they called the foul on the floor and said that he was not in the act of shooting so um that was upsetting i just that was not why michigan won but it felt like it felt like the refs kind of cracked the door uh, when you know Michigan was down ten, and um, they got you know three or four possessions in a row with some momentum, a couple fouls that went in their favor uh, on, and a couple non calls uh, on the other end, and then um, the wheels just came off for for Loyola. And 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 to be perfectly honest, like Michigan had superior athleticism and depth. Uh, it's very plausible they came back and they could have come back and won that game. Um, I think it should have been a lot closer down the stretch because I think uh, I think they were handed a gift and uh, and and that allowed them to kind of not like literally physically knock uh, Loyola out of their rhythm and off their game. Well, in, in the first half of that game, Michigan couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I mean, they were just abysmal shooting, and Loyola was doing what they'd done all tournament, and that's getting to the rim. I mean, all of their points were coming inside. And uh, that that kind of goes to the point that I was I was alluding to a little bit earlier is you know the the difficulty in shooting in a dome 
in in a football stadium the way if you're not if you're not Villanova <laughs> sure um but you know just the you know and I know we've discussed this in the past just the backdrop and having nothing behind the backboards uh the the way it's all situated and it, it showed early in the in that uh Loyola uh Michigan game you know neither team was able to hit the long ball um and then Loyola was getting to the rim and they were able to to score but John, to your point, the second game, Villanova sets an NCAA record for most number of threes hit in a Final Four game. Yeah, and again, you know, there's something to be said. A lot of guys on that Villanova team have been here before, chiefly Jalen Brunson, and you know, they're I think they're seizing their moment. the The fascinating thing to be about Michigan is Mo Wagner is such a good offensive player with such a modern skill set and a total defensive liability on an otherwise great defensive team and Loyola had a fantastic game plan they went right at him they were like we're just gonna work it down into the post because Wagner can't stop us and they did and they were having great success and uh, it's a testament to Wagner that his I mean, his offensive output in the second half was so high that it totally neutralized everything. And yeah, I agree. The refing was, the, you know, was kind of so a little rough. But they they went right out Wagner, and somehow he only had one personal foul the entire game. Wait, seriously? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was, didn't notice that. It was. It was. It was. It was tough. And I think it was a combination of that. I do think Loyola ran out of gas. I mean, yeah, credit, yeah, yeah. Michigan clearly Mich- ran out of gas. Michigan's an offensive, and you know, I think someone it could have been Nance made the point that you know, Michigan's played the schedule, and the schedule does matter. And Michigan is you've they've ground out games against a lot more athletic teams than Loyola has over the course of the season, and and it does matter. Um, with that said, I think you know. Loyola is always going to have this run. I mean, my father-in-law was just asking me today about, you know, what the potential recruiting effect is going to be for uh, Loyola in a situation like this, and it ain't going to hurt. It's not like well, it's not like they're in a place where you know they have the opportunity to pull in some talent. Um, You think Poser's staying though? Well, I mean, maybe not, but I mean, it's it raises the profile of a program that is well positioned geographically let's just say right fair. i mean like very fair you relative to the rest of the mvc you've got access to talent homegrown talent that a lot of those schools don't have but um, uh, on the flip side you're still recruiting to the missouri valley conference and... oh for sure and i mean there's always going to be a ceiling but i mean you know it certainly is a possibility that this could be a jumping off but with that said i mean it's it's a perfect storm of things right i mean one Loyal is a great team with a lot of guys that just work really well together. They're all guys. I think something like almost the whole team are all like state champions in uh, high school. So they're all just winners and they're, they have a lot of veterans. They have some young talent um, and they all play really well together and they got incredibly lucky. Um, You know, they, they were on the right side of three incredibly close games and they were lucky to be in the corner of the bracket that was just, you know, bracket Mageddon, where just I mean, and they had they had a hand in some of that, but I mean, the whole bracket just imploded, and they were the team that benefited from that. But I mean, whatever. I mean, that's the way these things happen. That's where the magic is, and I mean, you you can't take it away from them. I I mean, I think realistically, knowing what we know now, they would have probably got plowed by Villanova in the final. Um, 
I would have liked to see them make it all the way, but I mean, still, like, whatever. I mean, it's they're they're going to have those final four trophy forever. It, it's really interesting thinking about the recruiting ramifications because they only have like two, three Chicago kids on their on their roster. Uh, they've got a kid from Palos Park. They've got two two kids from Chicago. Sure, another one from Elgin and one from Algonquin. But the heart and soul of their team was Clayton Custer and Ben Richardson, who came from Kansas. From like and the then, same town in Kansas. Well, no, they went to high school together. Yeah, right. they, and and I think I I forget which one. One of them turned down other options to play with his buddy because they've been on on the same team together forever. Um, and then Mark uh, Marquise Towns, uh, who was who was also really phenomenal in the tournaments from New Jersey. So it's interesting to see that this this team was constructed not with what what I would have expected, you know, homegrown Chicago talent, but now they maybe have a, have a better option. John, to your point, to do that in the future. Speaking of guys from the Chicago area uh, who uh, are making an impact, uh, Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire's own Stevenson High School's finest, Jalen Brunson, uh, Hoanelli. That is Wah. that is a team. <laughs> Those, I, I don't envy Michigan um, having to go up. Although it should be said, right, Michigan was a really popular sleeper pick among brackets. And Villanova was the number one pick of anybody to win the tournament. I mean, it's it's been a crazy ride, but the two teams that are facing each other here are, um, you know, I think a lot of people expected that at least Villanova um, was going to make it this far. Yeah, I mean, Michigan hasn't lost since, oh, I don't know, we beat them back in uh, early February. Um, Sigh. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, Villanova, I mean, they have just steamrolled their way uh, through this entire tournament. I mean, they have, you know, not been really challenged. Like, none of their uh, games have ever really been in doubt. And they haven't played I, I, a really close. I mean, no, I mean, go ahead, challenge me on that. I, I don't think that they've played a close game. No, I I agree with you. I think the, cl- the closest was uh, West Virginia gave them some trouble before it kind of went off went off the wheels the last 10 minutes. But... Other than that, like I would argue, they haven't played a team. And maybe Texas Tech comes closest, but a team with Michigan's defensive prowess and their length—that's the one thing I can think of that that Michigan maybe has going for them in this game. But it feels like Villanova's got too many answers and too many ways to uh, uh, to win this, unless for some reason that they suddenly stop hitting threes. Well, that's the one weird thing is. There, I feel like there have been a fair amount of games where teams were super hot from three. UMBC jumps to mind. Uh, super <laughs> hot from three. And then just went ice cold in the following game. The difference is, like, Villanova's been playing at this level so high all tournament. And all season long. I mean, this is, this is you know, a team that was ranked, I think, what, 14, 14 weeks number one this season. Like, they're, they're just an awesome team. And... They've got a core that, you know, that won the championship two years ago. So, you know, Brent Brunson's started at a championship team two years ago. So they're, uh, I mean, they're the prohibitive favorite. It's funny. I mean, they were such a popular pick that um, if Villanova wins, I will win tied with Alex Putterman. Uh, we will tie for the win in the Westlot Pirates uh, bracket challenge. If, if uh, Michigan wins... Um, Garth, friend of the pod, Garth Robertson's wife, her bracket is going to obliterate the field in our tournament. Uh, 
but the, it's just funny the the swings such as they are um if michigan wins she's gonna win our bracket by a ridiculous margin if villanova wins she's gonna finish like 10th because so many people have villanova and that's not just unique to our bracket it's it's everybody's bracket um but it's funny i mean i it's just between bridges and uh and brunson i mean that team is just awesome Swinging back to uh, what I just said about Texas Tech, in the last so in their in their five tournament games, the Texas Tech game is the only game that Villanova didn't shoot better than forty percent from three. Uh, against Texas Tech, they were four of twenty four, and they still won that game by twelve. And I believe they were it was pretty comfortable. So good good luck, Michigan. Yeah, it, yeah. it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be real tough for Michigan. Uh, let's not to not to, not to stomp on what you know the, where we're going. I am a little bit interested about Michigan's potential possibility for a double uh, in uh, in both basketball and hockey. But we can get there in a little bit. Yeah, that that is definitely on the table, and and we'll get back to that. Uh, but we do need to talk about the ladies. Uh, Notre Dame winning the women's uh, tournament uh, tonight uh, with a uh, just. An insane shot, um, three pointer at the buzzer, uh, to take down Mississippi State. A two day, not, not just a three pointer, but like an off balance traveling sideways through the air, like prayer. This has to be the best women's tournament ever. And last year was really good. <laughs> and this year was even, I mean, just that, I mean, just, yeah, Notre Dame with back to back buzzer beaters to win back to back games. Insanity. So I, I will say that you know going into the Final Four, it wasn't really that exciting of a of a bracket. I mean, like even chalky. even looking at the it was chalk most of the way. You look at the Elite Eight games, uh, number one UConn, number two South Carolina, number one Notre Dame, number two Oregon, number one Mississippi State, number three UCLA, who knocked off number two Texas the, the game before, uh, number one Louisville, number six Oregon State, who had knocked off number two Baylor uh, the game before. So I mean. Very, very chalky, and then getting the, in... The women's committee is just better, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Or, <laughs> or you could say that there is less parity in in the women's game. And I mean, that's... There's, def- there's definitely less parity, and there's not as much depth. Um, but at the same time, you had, a, you had an 11 seed that made it to the Elite Eight in Buffalo. I mean, we've had, we've had men's years where it gets super chalky after the Sweet 16. Sure. Um, I like, but great. I mean, like the, the, all four, all four ones. Yeah, that, that doesn't that doesn't happen, happen in the men's tournament. I mean, it's happened like yeah. once over the past few years. But uh, it re- and and those and those games were not particularly close. Now, granted, like Duke got kind of walloped by UConn. That's Duke's a decent team. We've we've seen them there before. Yep. It was um, well, you know you talk about the scheduling committee. What's interesting is Baylor finished the regular season second in the nation, and they were the five seed. Um, and they, no, they were so, a two seed. I mean, a, a two they, seed. They were the five overall, and they okay. were the yep. they were the top two seed. Even though they were second, and they had one loss, and the committee must have known something because they they were not. And the minute they had to play a one, or I think even before that, oh, they, they got they got they, beat by Oregon State a six. Yeah, and they got plowed, and uh, it was so it was like the whatever it was. The yeah, the committee was on the ball. Uh, you know, so the big, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's a shocker, but, you know, you've got UConn, a team that's won over the past two years, 
what three years i think they were like 147 and two uh i i I feel like i saw that stat somewhere the numbers might be slightly off but they've only lost two games in the in the past several years and those were each of the uh final four national semifinal games on a buzzer beating shot so so to since 2013 UConn has lost a total of three games, all of which were in overtime. <laughs> it's just, just insane. Although someone I think Sports Center made the point, UConn has lost seven straight overtime games. Now, what's how many years those are stretched out over is probably like a decade or something or longer. But um, it is it is bizarre. And what's funny is UConn. Isn't like the last couple of years? They haven't been good in close games. They just never play close games. They win almost everything by like fifteen plus points. But I mean, they still. I mean, Notre Dame just they had to have everything go perfect for them, and it did. So outside of you know some of the some of the talk we just had about the the chalkiness of the bracket, the other hot take that's been it's not even that hot. This is a, kind of an old and tired take. Uh, that's been floating around the last couple of weeks is, you know, whether or not UConn is bad for women's basketball and, the, and the, with their dominance, they beat uh, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, 140 to 52 in the first round. A lot of people took umbrage with that. Um, you know, they, you, you mentioned the record earlier, Sam, I, I, I think it's crazy <laughs> to say that they're bad for women's basketball, given the attention that they, that they bring to the game and the, legions of eyeballs that they draw in in the final four and and then when they lose it becomes such a big story so um i think that's crazy and i think given given how these last two games played out with um i mean notre dame wins 91 to 89 this is a back and forth high-paced offensive game uh tonight against mississippi state it was uh, a bit a bit more of a defensive battle but Still in the second half, a ton of offense, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, how how you could say this is bad for the game and not drawing attention and pulling in eyeballs is crazy to me. It's like saying that it's like saying that Tiger, when he was dominant, was bad for golf. Unequivocally, that is incorrect. Here, here's an analog that I, I know I've mentioned on, on the pod in years past, but uh, you know, if, if you're saying that UConn is bad for women's basketball. That's like saying that UCLA was bad for men's basketball back in the fifties, or or that Alabama is bad for college football right now. I so here's the thing, right? Everybody wants UConn to lose in the national title game and not before <laughs> that point. You know what I mean? Like yep. everyone wants UConn to lose. But not until the last possible moment. Up until then, we all want to watch that team continue to advance. I mean, as great as Notre Dame's semifinal win was, you sort of feel like, oh, shoot, UConn's not playing in the title game. It ended up being like an unbelievable game. But, I mean, that's just the power that UConn has and like the level of dominance that they have. I mean, and it's it's good like this because, you know, a little something like this just to, to keep them hungry. I mean, this is hilarious. Like, they're in a relative lull right now because after winning four straight national titles, they've now not won two, even though both times they made the final four. And in the first of the two, they set the record. Uh, in both cases, they only lost one game. And in the first of the two, that that 
class set the record for most consecutive wins ever by a women's basketball team. Um, and yet this is still kind of a lull. I did notice, I believe next year they add, I think, the two-time National High School Player of the Year, as well as a girl who dunked in the high school uh, All-America Dunk Contest. So they're they're not exactly sweating. There's there's help on the way for UConn. And so I, I I think if you like if you look at their at the trajectory of UConn when they started, their nemesis was Tennessee. Uh, Pat Summit, amazing coach, the the previous uh, dominant player in college basketball, right? And and Summit and Ariema had a back and forth. Eventually, UConn and Ariema kind of persevered. The next big lull that they had was because there was uh, one just incredible player on the other side of the, of the floor, and that was Brittany Griner when she was at Baylor. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that I think they beat her a couple times, but I think they lost to her. They lost to her at least once, maybe twice. But now you've seen first Mississippi State last year, and now Notre Dame this year. You've seen teams defeat UConn. Uh, in in the tournament, like like good teams defeat UConn, it, we have, we have very few data points. That feels like a big deal to me. Yeah, I think you know it's. I guess if you made me pick, just going forward, I, I think Don Staley's building a real power at South Carolina, um, but Mississippi State. I mean, heck, they've what they've lost back to back national championship games. I mean the. There. So between that, Notre Dame, who's a traditional power, and now they've got a national title. I mean, you, you know, I think sort of to our point earlier, right? I mean, it's the real problem isn't UConn. The real problem is somewhere around school, like six or seven, it goes off a cliff. And, <laughs> and then you've got, I mean, because you've, you've got, if you look at some of these, you know, rounds earlier, like a team, you'll have a team that, where you'll be like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing out names. I don't even know, but maybe like a team like an Ohio state, right? Someone who would dominate Northwestern if, you know, when we played them and then they play like a team like Louisville and then just get smoked and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, wow. The top five or six are just like lording over the nation right now. But again, that's, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's more than one way uh, to do this effectively. I mean, like, if you look at European soccer, that entire model is propped up by a couple teams that are just awesome always, and uh, it doesn't you know, like it doesn't all have to work one way. Like they have a model that's working. And a point I I, I want to kind of dive into a little bit is you know you're saying that it's like the top six or seven teams, whereas before it was the top two teams. It was UConn and Tennessee, and like that was it. I feel like more and more young girls are playing basketball and you're getting, you know, an increase in uh, quality coaching, um, you know, and you're able, there's more talent out there. And I think you're getting more and more uh, teams now who are able to put together amazing uh, recruiting classes and, you know, challenge UConn. Because, you know, yeah, UConn's going to get the best players until Oriama goes. And probably on after that for a, for a long time. And they, they've got the, the name recognition and the cachet. But you're getting more and more uh, 
girls who want to, you know, if they can't go to UConn, they want to beat UConn. And there's more of them out there who are actually able to do it now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's still, I mean, I think the next step, right, you need you a couple of mid-majors, someone like that. You know, some sort of traditional powers in the small conferences that actually stand a chance when they get to a lot, to a higher level, you know, um, I think it'll get there. I, I think like you said, right. I mean, like now instead of just one power, we've got like a big, we've got a big cluster of them and yeah, it's only going to continue to grow. And I mean, it's the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, if you watched any of the final four games, whoa, Nelly, I mean, just a bunch of six foot girls that can handle and shoot and, you know, six, seven girls in the post with amazing post moves. I mean, it's not just UConn. These teams are all just monsters at the top. We got to talk about um, Arike Ogumbo. Ogumbo. I can't say it. I, I was waiting for someone else to tackle that first. <laughs> number, 20, number 24. Number 24. Ogumbo Wale. <laughs> She hits two game winners, hits the uh, – she's got like a Jordan-esque step-back jump shot that is just awesome that she generally uh, executes around the baseline. That That's the shot she beat UConn with. Um, she employed it quite quite a number of times in the Mississippi State game, but the, the the shot she hit in the Mississippi State game was this – I mean, she, she literally jumped into the air going sideways and just like a one-handed launch at the hoop – I'm convinced there is a sister gene halo effect happening right now. Uh, you could argue Villanova based on its presence in the <laughs> Big East. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame women's basketball and men's hockey. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. But uh, I, just an, an incredible shot after the UConn game when she was interviewed. She said that it was her. It was it was uh, she channeled Mamba mentality, i.e. Kobe Bryant, who then replied on Twitter um, and basically saying he was like pro Connecticut, uh, but <laughs> was uh, was you know happy to see great players making great plays and made some comment about like um, your life's not complete until you complete the job on Sunday. And then uh, she completed the job on Sunday, and in the post game interview, <laughs> was like, "Yeah, Kobe, I got it done." So that's just kind of a cool, you know, watching that play out on social media, et cetera, over the last three days. Yeah, and Brian, I think, was there, yeah, with his wife, yep. watching several of the games. And, uh, no, it's cool. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, I remember, you know, last year, Dak Prescott was at the, I think, the Mississippi State games. And it's, I mean, there's nothing not to like. I mean, this was, it was a festival atmosphere. Um, there's some great, there's some great video online of the announcing team um who's oh amin um adam amin adam, adam amin. amin um doing play by play and then Kara lawson and rebecca lobo uh, and their reactions at the end of both of the game winning shots um it's just awesome i mean it's first of all like super professional but from amin like very much like he's He's calling an awesome game and getting really worked up, but he's in control. But at the same time, you, he clearly understands the gravity of like what he's a part of, and it's it's just awesome. Like it's it's an awesome product. I mean, it's it, it would you know I would love for them to have it in uh, in Chicago. I mean, obviously they they're doing it in a stadium now, but the 
I mean, I, I would just love to, to be, get to be a part of that environment. It just looks amazing. And, and what's super cool about, uh, about that, um, announcer cam too is we're just watching Kara Lawson just completely stone faced the entire time. I mean, she's just like a, a true point guard. I mean, she was a point guard, uh, when she played and just analyzing the, the floor, seeing what's, what's there to be seeing. And, you know, she, do, she didn't get too excited. Or she, she barely moved <laughs> in both of those, both the the semifinal and and tonight in the championship game, and then and then, in the, and then Lobo and then the, who's like falling yeah, out of her chair, and Lobo who who died a little bit inside in the semifinal game, like she's she can try to be as impartial as she wants, but obviously like she bleeds Yukon blue, but yeah, they were. I mean, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're both super professional, right? Super into it. Just like thinking just as players. Um, it was awesome. It was just awesome sports spectacle. Uh, shall we move on to the third bracket that we need to talk about? Bring it. Uh, college hockey. We talked about it last, uh, you know, last time we were on. Um, the Frozen Four is set. Like I, like I said, you got Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Minnesota uh, Duluth, um, you know some just real fun games in the in the regional rounds. Uh, you know Notre Dame over Michigan Tech in overtime. Uh, Minnesota Duluth beat uh, Minnesota State uh, in overtime. Uh, Air Force, the uh, four seed, knocking off St. Cloud State four to one. Uh, yeah. Well, look. For, for, first, we got to talk about the fact that. The the Eastern, uh, not time zone, but the Eastern schools in college hockey have been completely shut out of the Final Four. They only they only had even two teams in the Elite Eight, and this is this is epic. Um, so obviously, like the East Coast, Boston College, BU, Providence, Maine. There's a lot of uh, North, Northeastern New Hampshire. There's a ton of really good uh, blue blood hockey programs out there. Uh, Quinnipiac, Yale, Union, these are others that, that have been, uh, you know, in the championship game in the last few years. And there's always been an East versus West. Uh, if, if you've ever watched the movie Miracle about the 1980 uh, U.S. men's hockey team that won gold in Lake Placid, there's, um, you know, kind of Boston versus Minnesota infighting amongst the college players on the team. Like, this is a legit thing. And... For the East to be totally shut out is is just spectacular uh, from from this uh, this <laughs> native Minnesotan's eyes. Um, so on top of that, you've got Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame, who are all Big Ten hockey programs. Um, so a real a real statement for the Big Ten, which has not gotten a lot of love since uh, they formed their own hockey conference. Whether that is um, envy at their t- TV deal and the money that they're raking in, or if it is um, kind of appropriate valuation of the fact that they haven't been that good, which I, I don't know. You can look at the fact that Minnesota has been a real disappointment the last four or five years. And uh, it's, it, you know, when, when the top program in a division or, or a conference is not, uh, is not showing up, it's very easy to, to start to question how good that conference is. So I think that, that's maybe some of what's been going on with the big 10, but well, this is a big deal. Um, for four Western schools to be to be running this deal, and for the fact that you could have a, a Michigan Ohio State championship, that's crazy. I mean, that's I was going to ask. I mean, so first of all, 
How many times did they play each other during the regular season? Probably. Let's, well, let's and how out. and how many years? So how many years does does that rivalry go back in hockey? Have they both had hockey teams for a long time? Yeah, they have. So I mean, there's so so there's a lot of history there. Would that be the? But they've. I mean, have they ever met at a you know at a conference tournament level or something? No, because Ohio State's been garbage at hockey forever. Oh, okay. I mean, they're. I mean. They've played as well as anybody has in in this tournament so far. I feel like I mean, yeah. I, they're they're uh, they've they've been rolling in a situation where pretty much nobody has. So they played Ohio State four times um, during the course of the year. They basically had two weekend series: one in Michigan, one in uh, one in Columbus. And Ohio State won all four. Wow! So. I mean, is this? I mean, is this the best Ohio State team that they've had, or is it? Uh... Um. So the Buckeyes started in like 1963, and um, they've had you know they've certainly had some winning programs. They're pretty good in 71, 72. Uh, they may have. I think they may have won the national championship that that year. Uh, but since then, like. No, I don't think they won the national championship that year. But um, they've they've only been to the Frozen Four once before, in uh, in 1998, and they've only made the tournament one, two, three, four, five, six other seven other times outside of that. So I mean, like I said, Ohio State has not been a good program historically. I mean, it's it's crazy that you've got they're just. It's funny, there are so many sub-storylines relative to the other sports, right? I mean, Notre Dame's got a chance to double in hockey and women's basketball. Michigan's got a chance to double in men's basketball and hockey. You've got a chance for a Michigan-Ohio State final. And then on the other hand, I mean, what's the best Minnesota Duluth has ever done? Um, they, I mean, won I, it all, uh, they won it all a few handful of years ago. Wow. So, I mean, again, that's just... It's crazy to me that Minnesota Duluth is that much of a power. Uh, I mean, it, it's again, uh, you know, Minnesota schools are, yeah. are very good right. at hockey. I mean, right. there's a reason they call it the state of hockey. Right. Yeah. So Minnesota Duluth won it all in in 2011, and prior to that, it does not look like they have any titles. Yeah. So that was their first. But it, it's it, it. One interesting thing is that Michigan, surprisingly, because they've not been anywhere near near the top in the last ten years, um, they, they last won a national championship in 1998. But they are the most decorated college hockey team. They have more titles than anybody else. It's fascinating. Partially, I mean, partially because they won like seven of the first ten. But it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty awesome. I think for the sport, I mean, it's weird, right? Because you said like, I think a lot of times you're used to having that mix and everything, but um, I get how, you know, some of the Northeast hockey blue bloods would thumb their noses. But I mean, I think from a national perspective, just having this many big names involved at the same time is, is huge. And just to get a chance to have, I mean, were it to work out to be able to cash in that Michigan Ohio State cachet in a hockey championship game, I mean that's a that's definitely a win. Or, or even Notre Dame Ohio State, and I mean, and I think the biggest the biggest factor here is like, all right, Boston College is not a small school, 
but the alumni base for Boston College pales in comparison to any of these three. And to have these three all in, I mean, these are these are three of the five biggest fan bases in the country. You could argue who's you know who's one, two, three, and four. Throw Penn State in the mix, and then I don't know. I don't know who's fifth. Maybe it's Alabama. Um, I don't think so. It's probably Nebraska uh, or some other some other craziness. Um, but like th- this will draw more eyeballs to college hockey than anything that's happened recently in this sport. And I've got, I mean, it goes to the discussion, right, of like, you know, does this boost the Big Ten as a hockey conference? Does this potentially? Absolutely does. But, I mean, does this potentially add more fuel to the fire of that team down south building, you know, putting hockey in, you know, or or anybody else? I mean, who are the who are the other holdouts besides us who could be, who could in theory be adding? Well, I mean, I mean Indiana, Purdue don't have um... – Nebraska doesn't have, Iowa doesn't have, Illinois doesn't have, Wisconsin does, Minnesota does, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland Maryland and Rutgers don't. Well, so since Rutgers joined the Big Ten, I've been surprised that they have not had a team jump up yet because they have a very strong hockey program from like a D3 perspective. I I know for a fact that I think Iowa and Illinois – play in some you know whether they're with us in like a club league or if they do have a a d3 or a d2 program um you would think that iowa would be well positioned to to field a team just with like where they would draw from from a student basis um catch a lot of uh, minnesota kids exactly uh exactly so there's i mean there's there's a good two to three teams that could that could consider doing something like this um and it, you know, it does, it does kind of come back to who's going to build them a stadium or, or if they can use one that already exists, that's probably the biggest factor for anyone. But, but I tell you what, like, the, like the ratings for big 10 hockey next year on the big 10 network. I mean, like, like th- this is going to help the conference really think of this sport as more of a revenue generator. I'm sure this is part of what they were hoping for when they, when they formed this conference a couple years ago and then convinced Notre Dame to join it starting this season. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a big deal for the future of, uh, of college hockey. Uh, so the frozen four, uh, happens, uh, this upcoming weekend, right? Yes. And I got to throw out just a couple of the little random fun things. Um, that happened the first weekend that I, that I want to make sure get noted. Uh, so I talked a lot about the Michigan tech fans on the podcast as we previewed this thing and they did not disappoint. They were awesome uh, in their first round game against Notre Dame. They almost beat Notre Dame too. It, that game went to OT and both teams had like crazy scoring chances right at the end. Uh, like, but, did, Michigan tech like had some point blank shots like seconds before Notre Dame got a breakaway and won. Yep. Yep. Um, they absolutely did. They absolutely did. Their, their team played way better than I expected, but the fa- the fans were spectacular. And the best part is that, um, ESPN sent somebody down to interview like their, their, I think they call themselves the misfits. And so he's talking to some guy in the misfits about like, you know, Oh yeah, we made the drive. We're really excited. Like yada, yada, yada. That dude's buddy is standing behind the ESPN uh, interviewers back. He's got a giant mullet 
a big fat like uh, headband, and he's just grooving. He's just he is just dancing in place, grooving like eyes locked on the camera. Um, <laughs> it was spectacular. It was so so good. Uh, other highlights from that game: the Michigan Tech coach has such a strong Canadian accent. Uh, I could not understand what he was saying when they interviewed him on television. And then the best bet for my money was Barry Melrose, who comes out of retirement for ESPN twice a year, maybe three times a year. I don't know if they do anything with NHL draft, but uh, he, he comes into the studio to talk about the Stanley Cup finals, and he does color commentary for NCAA hockey games. And he will certainly be on the call during the Frozen Final Four upcoming uh, next weekend. But during this Notre Dame-Michigan Tech game, first off, like, Barry Melrose is just kind of like a hockey man's hockey dude. Like, the guy, the guy goes deep on uh, all the Canadian tropes about hockey. If, if college kids could fight, he would be all about it. They're not allowed to. Um, but by the end of this game, he sounds like he's smoked six packs and, and, and drank an entire fifth of bourbon. He is forgetting the names of the teams. He referred to Notre Dame as North Dakota several times. And <laughs> awesome. like, lit- like literally couldn't recall the name of Michigan Tech. Was like, and that was a great score. But uh, uh, <laughs> the other guy had to jump in and say Michigan Tech. He's like, yeah, Michigan Tech. <laughs> it was some real Harry Carey shit, and it was awesome. John Bucciagross coming in there with the save, I guess. Yes, Bucci, uh, Bucci for the win. Uh, so the games are on Thursday, um, six o'clock uh, uh, six o'clock Eastern. Uh, Minnesota Duluth and Ohio State nine thirty. Notre Dame Michigan, and then the national championship game on Saturday at uh, seven thirty. On all those games are on ESPN too. So uh, be sure to check those out. It's really really good times. Uh, before we get out of here for tonight, I uh, do want to update everyone on the Northwestern women's lacrosse team. Uh, on a bit, Cats are on a bit of a winning streak, uh, knocking off Michigan, uh, Syracuse, Johns Hopkins, and then uh, beating Penn tonight, a uh, number six Penn in Philadelphia, 12-11 uh, to 11 in double overtime. Uh, so, you know, Cats now sitting at 9-3 and three overall. Uh, with losses to uh, North Carolina, who's number four in the country, Stony Brook, which is number one, and then that uh, game we talked about against Duke uh, earlier in the season. But uh, the Lays are, are putting up some points. They're they're beating teams that are ranked, and uh, what we're sitting at like eleventh, I think, in the in the polls. Yeah, roughly. So this is poised to be a top ten team. Um... And with a pretty favorable slate coming up too. I mean, I think they're they're into you know a bunch of the, the conference games that against teams that are not ranked as highly. Um, and these were close wins. I mean, they were behind. They rallied late against Hopkins, and then Penn in double overtime. So um, they're they're winning tight, but they're they're getting it done. I mean, I feel like this is um, you know. Poised to be potentially, you know, the best team I think the Cats have had in the last couple of years. I think, you know, again, the the big stretch and that date at the end of the season with Maryland are looming, but uh, this is looking like a really good team. Yeah, 8 of 12 opponents have been ranked uh, thus far. You've got Ohio State and Notre Dame games coming up. Those are home games. Um, 
both the Cats really should win both those games. Then they go on the road to Penn State, who is uh, ranked close to the bottom of the top twenty. I think they're they're eighteenth or nineteenth right now. So again, again, the Cats should win, but another ranked foe, followed by home at Rutgers uh, or home versus Rutgers, and then the the big uh, the big Kahuna at Maryland, who is ranked number two or number three right now, depending on the poll you look at. They're eight and one. And then the Big Ten tournament and is at Ann Arbor this year. And uh, going into the, um, the NCAA tournament from there, uh, I, I know that they love to have those early round NCAA games in Evanston, if possible, just because the stadium is just so gorgeous. And uh, usually by mid-May, the weather is quite pleasant uh, for a afternoon of lacrosse out there on the lake field. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be really great for that to happen. Um, one, this is getting ahead of ourselves, but one potential, um, I just I guess I'll say bummer for uh, for any team that's not Stony Brook, and that's that the semifinals and the championship are in Stony Brook, New York. So, wow, how Stony did Brook's they swing good. that one? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they got... I mean Mar- Maryland. Maryland is hosted before when they've won. I don't think the Cats have ever hosted. We, we've a, never hosted uh, a fi- uh, final four. I mean, I guess it's. I guess it would have been hard to justify, given weather and locations of everybody. Well, and also um, stadium size, because the the, uh, yeah, the semis and the finals you usually play those in football stadiums, where you know you've got more seating capacity. I mean, the the Lakeville the Lakefront Field is gorgeous and amazing. It just doesn't have a huge capacity. Um, and you would you wouldn't I, I play know it, somewhere nearby that does. Well, you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't play at Ryan Field because it's grass. I think yeah, I think they 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 can't they play on turf. They could work. I feel they like can't, they, can, they can't play on grass. I feel like they could work something out. The U.S. women's soccer team almost went on strike because they couldn't play on grass. <laughs> I don't know. Well, actually, potentially Ryan Fieldhouse when that's up and running. I, I don't know what kind of seating capacity they need for a, you know, for for a semis and finals, but uh, that's going to be a three four thousand seat uh, stadium, and uh, that's that'll be the indoor practice facility for football. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, but again, yeah, putting the cart before the horse. But uh, it's it's funny. To, to look at this through the lens of previous lacrosse teams because that run that Northwestern had was just so insane. UConn women's basketball level of success and win-loss records that you can lose a little perspective. And now, I mean, the fact is, right, I mean, this is a team that could be 14-3 and three and potentially, you know, as high as maybe, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th in the nation um, traveling to Maryland at the end of the season. I mean, it's... It's not the the loftiest of heights that we had before, but this is a really good team um, that's uh, that's poised to put something special together. I'll mention that the the Stony Brook Stadium has uh, natural grass. Okay. Do, does it say what the seat capacity is? Capacity of twelve thousand three hundred. Okay. Two thousand of those are standing room only. So I didn't know that they fill that for lacrosse, but I mean that is. More than I guess Ryan Fieldhouse would be able to to field. In any case, um, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week as we uh, go ahead and continue our search for the Swoley Grail.
So, weirdly, it will be me coming from uh, me taking hockey, Blackhawks hockey, uh, of all things, for the final thought and not one of you two guys. Um, I mean, as anyone who listens to the pod knows, I am the hockey weak link on this podcast, um, especially when it comes to to pro ranks and especially comparing Scuzz and Sam's knowledge of the Blackhawks to my knowledge of the Blackhawks. But um, I got pulled into what was really the feel-good story of last week in hockey um, and the kind of the the unique um, – really, it's, it's something that's unique to hockey um, – the idea of emergency goalkeepers. Um, soccer has no um, no similar thing. I mean, I think – in soccer, you have a couple teams dressed, you know, you'll have a goalie, you'll have a backup goalie. And in the situation where both your starter and your backup goalie are either injured or ejected, you'll just have, you'll just have someone else on the team put on some goalie gloves and play goalie for the rest of the game. But you can't do that in hockey. I guess it's too specialized. I mean, you have all the personalized pads for the guys and everything. And to make it work, there are, what like a pool of emergency goalies available for either team at any given game. And they're always like local guys who've gone through some sort of vetting process, guys who play like beer league hockey. Normally uh, they'd played a little bit in college or something, but uh... right. I mean, and and, then, and every blue moon, um, I mean, and truly right. I mean, how rarely does this happen, but it happened um, Scott Foster, who is an accountant, 36 years old, lives in, I think, Oak Park, um, played for Western Michigan, like, a little, way back in 2002, I think. Or yeah, 2000- he wasn't even the starter. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, he wasn't, he didn't even get a lot of reps. I think he played maybe 20-something games. Um, and he was the guy in the pool who was available. And, I mean, you guys can tell me, I mean, what was the situation with the injuries of the of the stars was Forsberg hurt himself playing hockey. I mean, soccer. So yeah. So Forsberg was going to be the starter. He hurt himself in, in pregame, whether or not it was in the pregame soccer, uh, kick around or not. Yeah. That, that's still, uh, not clear, but you know, he, I, he gets hurt enough that he's out for the rest of the season. Um, you know, the Blackhawks minor league affiliate is in Rockford, but, uh, you know, so it, it's convenient, and if if that injury were to have happened earlier in the day, they, they could have rushed uh, the goalie down from Rockford. But you know, few minutes before a faceoff, you know, you you just don't have the time to do that, which is why you have those the emergency goalie, uh, Colin Delia, who's the who was going to be the backup. He goes in to start, and uh, Foster comes down from the press box and sits in the locker room, actually watching the game. Uh, because in the very unlikely event of him having to come in, if he was on the bench, he would not be allowed to take warm-up shots. Uh, but if he was, you know, sitting back in the locker room, he's at, he's able to come out and and get a few minutes of of taking some warm-up shots, uh, which is what ended up happening when Delia went down with cramps. Um, you know, Foster comes in and played fourteen minutes of the third period. Saved seven That's shots. So crazy. He saves. He saves seven shots. A, one of which was a gold medal save. He had the. He had the one glove save that was. I mean, it was. It was a great save. I think the crowd understood immediately the significance 
the crowd was behind him the whole way. Um, and this is a guy again, like he, I mean, they were bending over backwards to cite his, not even his like cup of coffee he had with Western Michigan 15 years ago as his like notable, but basically he's a beer leaguer guy, right? He plays at the, what the, what is the Johnny's 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 ice house. Um, he's a beer league hockey player. And now the guy, as you were saying, Scuzz, the guy will not pay for a drink in the city of Chicago for a long time. Except nobody knows who he is. Like, I, gar- well, I, I mean, guarantee if I, if I were walking downtown tomorrow and he walked right, right up to me, I wouldn't have any idea who he was. Right. He should wear that jersey just forevermore. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's just so awesome. And it's only hockey gives a legitimate chance for someone to live their dream that way in a real situation, if only for, you know, in his case, 15 minutes. Um, and he did it. And he'll have that for the rest of his life, you know. Gave up no goals, saved seven shots, back to the beer league. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's just, it's something that only hockey can do. And it it was just such an awesome moment. And he'll he'll always have that now. It's just so cool. Chicago's biggest sports stars right now are an accountant and a nun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. And I guess Bino Cook would have it no other way because baseball is uh, explicitly excluded from that equation. Right. I have very little uh, little final thought prepared here. Uh, I will correct a statement I made earlier. I said the, the stadium in Stony Brook has natural grass. It's actually Wake Med Field in uh, Cary, North Carolina, which hosted last year's Women's National Championship, um, which has natural grass. So uh, for what it's worth. Um, just for uh, shits and giggles, I'm going to tell you guys about the vile drink that I've been consuming during tonight's podcast. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, why not? Um, so there's a brewery here in Cincinnati called Listerman's. Sam, you are uh, familiar with these dudes. Yeah, I met them a couple years ago at the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beer here in Chicago. Yeah, so speaking of barrel-aged beer, um, they made a uh, minty imperial stout beer and aged it in suburban barrels. And it would take paint off walls. <laughs> it's, it's it's awful. Um, and I bought two, and I just like I, I hate I hate I hate pouring out beer, even if it's like hard to drink. I hate pouring out beer. So I had this thought of what would happen if I dumped a bunch of ice cream in this beer, <laughs> and um, it actually it wasn't horrible. Um, I mean, you, I, hopefully you guys have heard of like the Guinness float oh, yeah, or the yeah, Scout yeah. float. Totally it- legit thing. The the minty stout, the minty bourbon barrel aged stout float is um, a really poor substitute for its uh, its its precursor, <laughs> um, but I survived. It's not too bad. So uh, I just don't don't buy this beer. But if if you have to get some good vanilla ice cream with it, so I actually I I, I will let you guys know uh, the beer that I've been drinking. Um, and that it's very similar. Uh, Goose Island put out um, a variant of their Bourbon County Stout, except it was not aged in bourbon uh, bourbon barrels. Uh, so they made they made their uh, Imperial Stout, and they put it in Ardbeg barrels. Whoa! 
Uh, for the, for those who don't know, Ardbeg is a scotch that is extraordinarily peat forward. So it stings, stings the nostrils. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And this beer, oh my God, it is, it smells like scotch and it tastes like, you know, Russian Imperial Stout plus scotch. It is intense. It is amazing. And, it's every bit as good as it sounds like uh, your beer was bad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else there because I'm not sure that that sounds that good. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. It, it's it's hard to drink a whole one because it's you know, really overpowering. But uh, whew, it, I'm just in I'm just envisioning some some t- like tomorrow some Northwestern alum. Standing in a Chicago land Mariano's in the beer aisle, being like, "What to get? Should I get this or this?" And then remembering <laughs> the Westlot Pirates that guided him. No, no, don't get that. <laughs> Away from the mint and toward the scotch with your stout choice. Oh boy, it's the hard hitting analysis. <laughs> Anyone that you can only get here. Has been waiting fifty minutes for us. <laughs> uh, so, for my final thought, I, I do want to just update um, the baseball and softball uh, teams uh, as as they continue through their season. Uh, baseball is having a bit of a rough go. Um, eight and fourteen overall, one and five in conference. Uh, just things haven't quite been clicking uh, for the team since they got into conference play. Uh, softball, however, is uh, having a pretty solid season. Uh, Twenty-two and eleven uh, overall, five and three in conference. So uh, the ladies of the diamond are, are playing real well. Uh, just took uh, two out of three against Nebraska, who I believe is ranked, um, you know, with a win today uh, at home. Um, so you know, love love to see uh, baseball and softball hopefully continue to do well, and uh, yeah, go from there. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line at 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.